time to go beyond the locker room talk and listen in with me, GB, producer Jay, former patients and current friends of our own Cornell-trained, world-renowned urologist and surgeon, Dr. Michael Hyman. Let's talk about the issues on men's minds where no topic's out of bounds on another sit-down with two men and a doc. Welcome to the show. Good seeing you guys. Producer Jay. How are you, GB? I'm doing well. Doc? Gobble, gobble. (laughs) (laughs) Yep, it's that time of the year, folks. I'm going to have to isolate that. Thanksgiving. Make that a ringtone or something. (laughs) The doc saying gobble, gobble. Gobble, gobble. It's Thanksgiving. It is indeed. It's a good time of year. Well, we know that because uh, JT is about to brine his turkey. I am. So we just learned. That's pretty impressive. I it's on my resume. Now, do you use do you use <laughs> cheesecloth? One of, my, one of people, the things that I do. Some people wrap it in cheesecloth. Do you do that? That's when you're cooking it. Yeah. No, I and I don't believe in the basting. And do you do, do you do convection roast? Um, I do probably do I'm doing one on the barbecue and I'm doing one in the oven. Ooh, on the barbie. Yeah. So, so do you brine the turkey with salt or what exactly? Yeah. Well, it's a salt, <laughs> sugar, salt spice. Yeah. Solution. I highly recommend anyone out there this. The, you have, look you it still up online. Have, you still have time if you're listening to the show on Wednesday. You do it overnight. I used. I'll tell you this. I did the wet brine for years. Then I switched to a dry brine. Oh. Which is you basically coat it with salt and, and sugar. Do you use your hands? Yes. Do you wear gloves? Um. Sure. <laughs> I don't know. I'm not serving this to you know tons no. of. Well, Usually when you bake it, whatever is on there. Yeah, it's, it's not a problem. Oh, I mean, I, it's, thought if it's actually invited over to Jay's house. The, the real, the more important question is, do I wash my hands afterwards? Because that's when I could spread the the contaminants. But anyway, um, I'm going back to the uh, to the wet brine this year. I'm, oh yeah, I'm, thank you for asking. Yes, oh, I don't remember <laughs> yeah. that. I might try it myself. Yeah, I think it's a little better than the dry brine. Cool. Well, well, it's it's interesting that you're brining your turkey because I just had uh, an annual physical. Mm. And uh, they always, you know, test for all sorts of things. I don't have all my blood work back, um, but this all falls under that heading of as good as it gets. And this has to do with my blood pressure. You are really concerned about this being as good as it gets. I, I'm. Uh, it's an ongoing theme for you. It's an ongoing theme. I just, uh, I do so much exercise. I swim four to five days a week. I run or bike on the weekend, do all sorts of stuff. And, and I also uh, lift weights. So I think physically I'm, I'm in pretty darn good shape. But what I've noticed over the past probably year or so, my blood pressure is edging up. And by the way, my, my and I'm all confused by this, my resting heart rate is in the 50s, which I think is pretty good, Doc, is that correct? Mm-hmm. And my stress test, when I do the stress test, my heart rate comes down very quickly after you know resting. But what my doc was saying is that what the stress test was indicating was as soon as soon as we start exercising, the heart rate level jumps, and that's potentially a sign of high blood pressure. And my systolic blood pressure, I think, is 130, and my diastolic was, I think, 80. And I also understand that and maybe you, maybe you can talk about this, Doc, that they've recently changed some of the guidelines surrounding the blood pressure ranges. But what, what my doctor was telling me was, because I was trying to understand it, because I didn't understand the difference between my resting heart rate and my, the pulse and this blood pressure. And what she was essentially telling me is my elasticity 
in my uh, arteries is hardening. It's not as flexible as it used to be. And as a result, the blood, when you try to pump through it, it, it it's like a, it's like pushing uh, a very high volume in, in a small pipe. And that's what she's saying is the blood pressure, but I'm still uh, confused. Um, she did say I got to stay away from salt. So mm. JT, I don't think I'll be coming over for Thanksgiving. I was going to say. And and uh, and then I also mentioned maybe I'll try to lose some weight. That would help. And but but maybe you could shed some light on uh, the salt issue and high blood pressure and and why the blood pressure range has changed from like 120 over 80 to 130 over 90 or whatever uh, you know, what, all this stuff is. What was her advice about pounding on the table? Did she recommend you doing that or? <laughs> <laughs> That would be uh, GP pounding the table with uh, each fact. She said, I, I've really got to focus on my aggression, <laughs> not pound the table. So is what is what GB describing fairly common for someone of his age? Is this the progression? Yeah, this is the progression. I mean, this See, is... It's as good as it gets. Yeah, <laughs> you know, this is wear and tear. I mean, as far as the new guidelines, I know they have lowered the, the numbers for uh, doctors to initiate antihypertensives medications to lower your blood pressure. It used to be that it was like, you know, you'd have to get up to over 130 or even closer to 140 in your systolic, um, diastolic. I think the number was like over 80. Um, <clears throat> but they've lowered it now. In other words, if your blood pressure, I think if it's over 120 or, you know, certainly when you get to 130, they start talking sooner about putting you on antihypertensives because they've just shown that, you know, it's gonna, it's gonna save lives. Um, you're gonna have less strain on your heart, pushing blood through, um, you know, as you said, smaller pipes and, um, and the idea is really that, um, yeah, if you think about it in your mind, if you visualize your, your arteries are these sort of elastic, they, they sort of, with each pump of your heart, your arteries expand and contract. And that's what you're feeling when you feel your pulse. You're feeling the expansion and the contraction of your artery. If you lost all of that um, elasticity in the walls of your vessels, you really wouldn't be able to feel a pulse. You know, think about it. If your artery was just a solid pipe and the heart was beating and the pipe didn't, you know, expand, you wouldn't feel a pulse. And, you know, so, so how, how do they actually measure this? They, they wrap something around your arm and then they pump it up with air to, you know, constrict it. And then they listen. What exactly are they counting? And you see this gauge. How, how does that all work? So when they're tightening it all up and to the point that they've completely blocked blood flow through that vessel because they've squeezed the vessels. And then what they do is they start to release it very slowly and they're watching on a pressure gauge the pressure is dropping on that squeeze and it's dropping and it's dropping. And as soon as they hear the first whoosh of blood going through, that's your systolic pressure. Hmm. And they keep, and then they're starting to hear it pump, pump during the whoosh, whoosh, whoosh. And they keep hearing it until it gets so lacking of pressure on it that you no longer hear the whoosh anymore. Um, and that's the diastolic. On the bottom. On the bottom. Got it. So that's those yeah. the two numbers. Yeah, what, what my doctor was saying, it's not, for me, not so much lifestyle, but hereditary. That's it. It is absolutely hereditary. And, and I don't even know if I would say it's hereditary as much as it is 
just the fact that it's wear and tear. It's life, you know? I mean, eventually, yeah, there are some elderly people who don't develop uh, elevation of their blood pressure. That's true. But there, but everybody invariably has some, you know, um, diminishing of the integrity of those vessels, whether it means they're not as elastic, maybe they're getting calcium deposits. There's lots of reasons for yeah, it. Yeah, I have in one of my arteries, I do have some coronary calcification. Yeah. I had that. I mean, your heart, that's your heart arteries. Is that my heart arteries? Coronary right? calcifications are heart yeah, arteries. I had, what's that test where they go and on your neck and, and they're like doing an ultrasound of some Dopplers, sort? Doppler's, maybe yeah, carotid artery Doppler's. They did, that, they did that recently? They did it about a year ago. Uh-huh. And again, there's uh, hereditary, you know, cholesterol issues in in the lineage. Um, so I got to watch my cholesterol. Yeah, as well. I have the same issue. I have the same issue. Now, on these blood pressure meds, is it like I know a cholesterol med? You're generally, if you're on Lipitor, you're on it forever. Yeah. Uh, is the blood pressure similar? I mean, it's. I would assume it, it, it's not going to get yes better. Yes and no. Yes and no. Like I, I mean, there's could. some people, and this goes for you know, some of the other signs of what we call metabolic syndrome, which is really just the whole cluster of elevated cholesterol, high blood sugar levels, high blood pressure, high blood sugar levels, meaning, you know, you're getting to be a diabetic, high um, blood pressure levels. Um, these are all considered what we call metabolic syndrome uh, uh, parameters. And, and, and what happens is, is that there's various risk factors for it. Some of it's genetic as GB was mentioning, some of it is lack of exercise, which obviously doesn't really, uh, you know, that's not something I'm not you, sedentary. you're not sedentary. Um, some of it is obesity. Um, you know, some of it is like people who smoke cigarettes. So, so lifestyle these are the, things they could change and that could help. These are all things that, so the genetic one is not something you can really alter, but if you lose weight, if you're less sedentary and exercise more, if you're a smoker and you stop smoking, those are all you know uh, habits that can improve those parameters. Hmm. Is there any diet? Is there any behaviors in the day or two days or three days before physical that you should <laughs> you should avoid? Not to cheat on the test. I'm glad you said that because one of the things that happened. I, I, I shouldn't so... have a rack of ribs or something the night before. Well, what happened? <laughs> it's on... like when you go to the dentist. Like, be yeah. sure you really do a good well, job brushing I, your teeth well, that morning. I asked this for two reasons. Then GB, I'll let you finish. Which is, on the one hand, you want to get sort of the best test results you can get. On the other hand, you don't want to, you don't want to, uh, you know, sort of move move it in the wrong in, in a direction that's false if you will you're right so what were you gonna say gb i i'm glad you asked that question because as i was rushing to get to the doctor's office after finding parking and basically running to not to be late because uh certainly don't want to be late because i'll get chastised my heart rate gets elevated and then i'm so nervous mm. as they're starting to take blood and everything else um, I think it just naturally elevates, and then I think the doctor actually recognized that, and then took it again later in the examination. Yeah, well, the other the other easy thing to do, especially when it comes to blood pressure and things like your heart rate, is you can buy your own blood pressure monitor. They're really inexpensive, and just have it in your bathroom mm-hmm. and periodically check it yourself and see if it's consistent. I do it at the right age. Yeah. Just but, what, but what about to JT's question about ribs or burgers or salads or whatever before? Does that have any impact? Especially on, the, on the cholesterol test. Yeah, yeah, it's a good question. I don't think so, but I'm 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 honestly not sure about that. Um, some of those things, like you know, when they're measuring 
triglycerides and HDL and LDL, um, stuff like that. Those are substrates that are actually produced in your liver. And it's not like the few days beforehand, you're going to suddenly cause a spike in your HDL, um, which actually I think is a good thing. You actually want a high HDL and a low LDL, as I remember correctly. But you, you, um, um, yeah, a lot of, a lot of those, a lot of those substrates are actually made in, it's not like the food that you're consuming but is what about, then directly measured in the I blood. Got it. But right. what, what, what about coffee, right? That's, that becomes sort of a diuretic. What if you drink coffee before the examination? Isn't mm-hmm. that going to have a, a potential impact? Maybe on your heart rate a little bit. I mean, if you drank like two cups of coffee, you know, real strong coffee, like an hour before, and then they took your resting heart rate, it could certainly be higher. Yes. And what about Viagra or Cialis? Would that impact your Mm, blood pressure? Not really. Those drugs might drop it slightly, but nothing impressive. Well, also before a physical, generally they're telling you to fast anyway. You're not probably not having a Red Bull and Coke on the way in. Yeah, but, but you're allowed to drink black coffee. At least I was told I could drink black coffee. Hmm. Okay. But well, you could have a Red Bull in the way, and it's a clear liquid. Yeah, but it's but the Red Bull is going to... Oh, gonna, it's sugar. And caffeine. I think it's got a lot of caffeine Yeah, in but it. they don't say to avoid caffeine on, yeah. on the morning of... Yeah, I mean, I think, again, a lot of these things, they, they're not going to get particularly... You have to realize that things like your resting heart rate, unless it's like... What they're really looking for is... Is it possible that you have an irregular heartbeat? That, so like okay. if your heart rate is like 110 or 120, then they're going to wonder, okay, is this some kind of arrhythmia? Then we have to slow it down yeah. and, and diagnose what the arrhythmia is. And then they're going to start getting more specific. Well, the doctor told me I may be irregular, but my heartbeat is not. <laughs> All right. There so, you go. <laughs> so That was pretty good. But, uh, uh, JT, I, um, I, I hear there was a very interesting article that, you read from your trust from your trusted news source. I, I it came up in my feed, and it it caught my attention. It's it's actually a bit of a follow up. I, I I should have had this handy. It was from an episode. I want to say episode twenty two or twenty three, where um, the doc surprised both of us. I believe to, when he let us know that he carries a catheter with him whenever he goes on vacation. Yeah, not a stethoscope. Not a stethoscope. A right. catheter. I'm a urologist. And and his exact words were like, imagine. If I'm on a plane and someone's got a, a you were saying they, they couldn't uh, urinary ex, acute urinary ex, retention right they couldn't, they couldn't ex, expel their their urine and and there and would it's be the building doc. up and building up and He'd they're in terrible discomfort. open his shirt and, and with his Superman costume underneath and and help out so da, sure da, 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 catheter man right catheter man <laughs> so imagine my surprise when I saw this headline doctor saves traveler's life by sucking urine from man's bladder during mid-flight emergency. Sounds scrumptious, especially yes. like with Thanksgiving coming up. I, I don't even think they charge you for that. It's, Can you it's part um, of the main menu. What was the method so, for uh, the evacuation was a, of the bladder? It was a Chinese doctor. I'll, I'll summarize the article as best I can. Um, his name is Zhang Hong, and he's a, he's a surgeon. Um, and what, what airline? It was on Chinese airline. If I can, let me just get through the facts, and then you can <laughs> quiz me as much as you'd like. Okay. You I can m- write down some yeah. questions. I may cover it. Was it flying over Russia? He, it was actually six hours away from New York, um, believe it or not, and it's on uh, the China Southern Airlines Flight 399, if you're wondering <laughs> that information as well, GB. Anyway, the ill passenger was sweating and had a swollen belly, and his family had informed the cabin crew that he had previously been diagnosed with an enlarged prostate. 
which was causing the blockage, um, or so Zhang suspected. Um, he's going into so this, shock. So this was an older man, or it a was. middle-aged man, at least. I, I believe it said he was, um, I want to say he was an elderly man. See, you've stumped me already. Um, I think he was an older guy. Yeah, I think so, too. So anyway, it says he's going to shock and might have suffered a risk to his life if we didn't if we didn't fix this urgently. So they got some blankets, but here's where he got clever. Because um, he did not, unlike Dr. Hyman, have the catheter with him. He reportedly fashioned a makeshift catheter out of the plastic tubing from an oxygen mask and straws from milk cartons, tape, and a syringe from the aircraft's medical kit. But it was too small to drain the urine. And wait, wait, wait. So how, how did they the insert... In, how did he insert this into the bladder? I don't know. The needle was... The needle on the device was too small. So... After they experienced some difficulties and easing the pressure, he stepped up to suck out the urine himself. I'm sure he just got it going. It wasn't like he was making a, you know, a whole drink out of this thing, but he had to he, do he, it. He, was sy- he started the siphon. <laughs> right, right, exactly. You know, there and, was a guy uh, who, who came to repair our dishwasher one time. We had one of those home warranties. And I guess those companies, you know, make money by sending the least expensive person over. Yeah, we, we got sucked into yeah. that, too. The first and we year. had this uh, nasty water at the base of the dishwasher, dishwasher. Oh, no. and food and soap, and it had to be drained. Uh, so he didn't have a machine to automatically siphon it. So he created a makeshift siphon, and he stuck this tube in, and he started sucking it out and then spitting into oh, the bucket. God. It was so gross, which is really akin to what this doctor did. Yes. On, on actually, to be honest, on this I'm, not, I'm not convinced that he created a siphon. I'm, I'm, I'm actually thinking he actually he had to just suck and suck and suck individually do it and spit it out. Well, it I, says, I actually think that's what he had to well, do. Well, it says the doctor spent 37 minutes draining, and I'm not good with the old metric system 800 milliliters of urine he did it he did it manually is that a lot that's that's typical no it, i mean yes it's a lot it's typical for somebody in acute urinary retention so our bladders all hold about 350 to 400 so his bladder was expanded to twice the normal capacity so yes that's a lot on the other hand as we've talked about in prior show shows if you're chronically retaining urine and then you go into a phase of acute retention, you could have as much mm. as four liters in your bladder, which right. is 4,000, which is two two-liter Coke bottles, which is a lot. But the bottom line is, um, I thought about this when you told me about it, that he used the um, oxygen mask tubing and that he had to suction it out manually. Because to, to, to answer your question, if you had 800 cc's in your bladder and you put in a catheter, even if it was a small catheter, it would take maybe, I don't know, maybe four minutes, five minutes to drain that bladder, six minutes, not 37 minutes. That's all that. So I think he had to actually suction it out. Well, it says that there's footage, believe it or not, and it shows him spitting into an empty wine bottle as he siphoned the urine using his mouth. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that's what it sounds like. And I think the reason why is that he created a, a suction with his mouth around what? The tubing. Oh, the tubing. So, but walk me through it for a second. It said there was a needle. That part it, also didn't make sense to me. I, what I don't is he really. Doing with the needle? I don't understand what that part was all about. A I needle, I a no straw. Idea. It's like an escape room. They here's the here's the equipment they're giving. Or, or, I have no idea he, what he's talking or about. Or was he going through the belly no. to the bladder? No, no, no. no. no, no, no. So he, he was. Incision. Well, that's what I thought. The needle. No. I mean, that's possible, but it that said was, the needle was too small for the urine to come out. I just don't 
I, th- I thought it was maybe going needle and then needle to syringe and then to the tube. But that's a, that's interesting. I don't think I, he, I would, I don't know. That's a really good question. Um, because it could have been that he did a super pubic tap, which means you take the needle and you try to, if it's a hollow bore needle, and obviously it's gotta be a hollow bore needle right. that you can punch through the skin below the belly button and enter directly into the bladder and drain it out that way. But then I would think the siphon, you know, using the rest of the needle with the syringe. I mean, then I, well, they didn't mention anything about a syringe, but, um, I assumed that he was pushing it through the, the urethra, through the penis. He put the, he connected all of these, uh, tubes together, but then I didn't it, understand what the needle was for. said, Plastic tubing, straws, tape, and a syringe from the aircraft medical kit. Hmm. He's the MacGyver of urologists. And then, and then if you were, if you had a syringe, yeah. why did you have to suck out the tubing? Why couldn't you connect the syringe and then suction through the syringe? So there was a lot of confusion in that story. But what I was thinking is that if you went through the urethra, those I was thinking that those tubing, the tubing for those oxygen masks is probably very soft. And it's not designed to withstand the pressure of the prostate. And so the prostate probably compressed the tubing. And that's why he had to suction it because it wouldn't just come out on its own. Well, it wasn't stiff enough. Yeah. 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 But that was interesting. And uh, JT, who who were we to think when we were sort of chuckling about Dr. Hyman traveling with the catheter? That the reality would be there. Listen to the tape. I said, I want to travel with you. Is what I (laughs) apparently prepared. But so, uh, Doc, here's my question. If you do have an enlarged prostate... And um, how, how, how do you know if you're at risk for suffering this on an airplane? That's a really good question. I mean, I, I do. I actually am surprised it doesn't happen more often because a lot of people who a lot of people who are on uh, airplanes don't realize that they have the, you know, an enlarged prostate. And then if they're traveling for super long flights and they don't empty their bladders well to the be- to begin with. Um, they are at risk yeah. for this happening. So they, I don't know the answer to your question. I guess here's the answer to your question. A, if your doctor tells you you have an enlarged prostate, you might want to be very mindful about restricting your fluid intake before and even to some degree during the flight. Number two, um, it's best if you get up and move around because that will help prevent you from going into acute mm-hmm. urinary retention uh, ambulating, moving around, uh, you know, increases blood flow to the area and you get a little more contractility out of your bladder. Um, does it get worse the longer you wait? Is yes. there's more pressure? So you've actually exacerbated the situation. So it's kind of like the more your bladder is stretching, the weaker the muscle is getting. It's like a total, uh, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's, it, 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 uh, can it burst? It really can't. I've, that generally doesn't happen. What happens is it starts to back up into your kidneys uh, and your yeah, kidneys yeah, yeah. swell yeah. up and then your body we'll starts start to, down. well, your body will start to, your, you'll, you'll end up getting swelling in your legs and your ankles and your hands and your heart will start to go into failure. Um, but no, the bladder typically does not burst. And um, what was the other thing I was going to say? We, we wait, talked wait, about wait. some of that in the... Uh, yeah, because you talked about... To we, pee or not, not to pee. pee we had that yeah. segment. That was right. a question. What would happen if you hold your pee? So right. you could technically, like how Superman can hold his breath, 
mm-hmm. and kill himself. <laughs> Technically, if I'm understanding what, what you're himself? saying. I didn't know about that part. Yeah. Oh, you didn't know about that with Superman? I, I must have no. missed episode missed 15 episode. of uh, season two. Yeah, well, of the, uh, because he's able to hold books. his breath, he could be able to kill himself. Well, hmm. So if technically this could be a form of suicide by holding your pee in, according to what you're telling us today. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Episode 15. All right. To pee or not to pee. Good to know. Wow. All right. Well, so um, Thanksgiving's coming up for everyone. And, uh, you know, we were talking off air a little bit about just how to prepare for such a big meal. I I think the best thing anyone can do, this is my, I try to do this. I just go for a run in the morning. Mm. You know, you just feel better. The morning before the big meal. Thursday morning. Go out for a run. Do yeah. something, you know. Turkey yeah. trot. Do something. Uh, yeah, that's a good idea. physically active. Yeah, a little more than your normal walking the dog. But I think it's great to, you know, push yourself a little bit. I know it's cold and for some of our I'd like to go on a run but... on Thanksgiving with you. Okay. Are you interested? Sure. <laughs> There's a lot of delay. No, I didn't know. I There's thought you were looking at the dock. A lot of delay. Oh, no, not no. me. The doc runs too. It's yeah, it's hard. It's I, hard to get him to be. I, I, is is I'm, the I'm word more of a, ambulatory? I'm more of a treadmill guy. There you go. Hey, that works too. There you go. We could go. We, we can go on a on on a on a dirt track that's right. like a, a a mile, and uh, you can walk, run. You can, we should all three. We should all go. Turkey trot. That'd be great. Turkey trot. It is. <laughs> We can record as we're as yeah. we're running. You know what? I'll report back. I I I'm I'm getting these looks that this ain't gonna happen. <laughs> I don't. Know. I'll be out there. <laughs> you never know. So uh, have a good have a good holiday. Have a good Thanksgiving. Enjoy. Don't eat, don't eat too much. Keep GB. I'm sorry, but keep the salts intake to a you know small degree. That's yeah. right. Pecan pie. Is that all right? A little sugar. Yeah. A little sugar, but it's not salty. That's right. All right, guys. Enjoy. All right. Take care. Thanks. So that's our show. Thanks for listening. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Two Men and a Doc is hosted by Dr. Michael Hyman, GB, and Jay Tannenbaum. Produced by Jay Tannenbaum. The views and opinions expressed here by Dr. Hyman are based on his medical training and experience. But if you or someone you know are experiencing any medical issues, you should, of course, consult your own physician. We welcome your questions about men's health or anything you've heard on this podcast. So write to us at mail at twomenandadoc.com. That's M-A-I-L at twomenandadoc.com. If you live in the Los Angeles area and want to see Dr. Hyman, you can find his contact info at drhymanla.com. That's D-R-H-Y-M-A-N-L-A.com. And these links are also in the show notes. That's it for this week. See you next time on Two Men and a Doc.